0: Yay, it is an angry and unforgiving economy. Cut spending to only the bare essentials. Water and bread and margaritas. Yay. Self-destruct, count it down.
1: Really excited to have my guest on today. Menika Gopinath is president of the social media practice at Ipsos, uh, one of my old employers. And uh, she's super insightful in the world of social media listening. So I'm really excited to talk to her today. Educationally, she has a bachelor's degree from NYU, uh, which would make her both a violet and a bobcat. And she has an MBA from USF, which makes her a USF Don. And she also just gave a great guest lecture to my class at the University of San Francisco. So Don's giving back to Don's and paying it forward. I really appreciated that. Uh, Manica, I'm really excited to have you on the show today.
2: Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
1: Yeah, excellent. Well, as you may know, when I have a guest on the show, even though we've known each other for a while, I always have a few questions I like to ask to get to know them better. A little game I like to play called... The lightning round. The lightning round. I am so good at lightning rounds. I majored in lightning rounds. Are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What is your hometown?
2: Seattle, Washington.
1: If you were not in the research and insights business, what would you be doing? Ooh,
2: um, I would probably be running a record label.
1: Oh, I like that. What TV show or movie would you consider your number one guilty pleasure?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, I guess I'll jump on the bandwagon. I have been watching Bridgerton recently. I like to call it ambient TV.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a great phrase. I got a lot of TV shows that I fall asleep to, but I've not called them ambient TV, so I like that. What is your favorite website or app that many people haven't heard of?
2: That many people haven't heard of. Well, I actually just downloaded an app um, in the last couple of months called Fast AF. And it's essentially uh, an app where you can get DTC products um, delivered to you within a couple hours. It's only in LA and New York right now, I think, but it's pretty cool.
1: That sounds great uh, you know DTC has really developed in a way that they can take off very quickly but then they have trouble reaching scale so it's interesting to see them experimenting in new ways and new channels to get out there mm-hmm. I will try that and I like any app I like any app that has the phrase AF in it yeah. so. <laughs> what was the last thing you bought online?
2: The last thing I bought online is super boring I bought
1: batteries <laughs> That worked. Did you buy the Amazon Basics or did you go for a name brand?
2: I went for Duracell, honestly, but probably because it was like the first thing that I'm just like was like came up first on the list. So that I like it.
1: (laughs) I like it. What's the most unusual thing you've bought online? Keep it safe for work, please.
2: Sure. Um, Well, it was it's called the Covidizer. And um, it's like this small business in New York in the midst of the pandemic um, created this, it looks like an astronaut helmet. (laughs) Um, So it's an alternative to a mask. (laughs) And basically you can be in this helmet or visor um, when you go out and I got it in the mail. Like I forgot I ordered it honestly and I got it like two months later and my husband was like, what is that? Um, so now we're thinking of using it as a prop in a in a short film we're making.
1: <laughs> I think I've seen ads for that online, and it does look like a prop from a science fiction movie.
2: Exactly.
1: Well, you have to come back when your movie's out, and we'll help you promote the movie.
2: Cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> With everything going on in the world today, what brand do you think really gets it?
2: It's hard to name just one. Um, I, I could say more generally that I think the brands that are truly kind of living out their purpose in a meaningful way um and are kind of using that as their compass in every decision they make um, are definitely the ones that i think are are making a a compelling difference Um, but you know like and then maybe we'll talk about this later but i think we're doing so much research in terms of um brand purpose and how people um consider that in their decision-making process for purchasing and it it is such a broad spectrum right and particularly when you look at the social conversation how people talk about brands it can be on one hand they really respect like for example what amazon's doing in the context of trying to help communities and um, help their workers but then on the other hand there's things around employee safety and you know like so there's it's a hard time to be a brand for, but it's also a really good time to be a brand because there, it's an opportunity to really face the, the reckoning at every level. All of that to say that I know this is the lightning round. Um, I will say that one of the brands I have really started to um, consume is called Tawny, Tony's Chocolate Lonely. Um, it's a chocolate brand and um, I love chocolate and they've really, their purpose is very much around um, creating and making chocolate. That's coming from a safe place, um, farm farming, sustainability um, as well as like natural ingredients, things like that. Oh,
1: very cool. I will check it out. I'm always looking for new chocolate opportunities. All right. The final question of the lightning round, what brand do you remember fondly from your childhood? Um, It's a tough one. I know.
2: I know. Life cereal. (laughs) I love it. Very
1: cool. I was a kid. (laughs) Classic brand. I remember commercials for that all the time.
2: Yeah. I'm actually now kind of craving some life.
1: Well, there you go. (laughs) We should get them on as a sponsor for the show. We can get a little kickback. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you for playing along with the lightning round.
0: The lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round.
1: And let's get right into it. So in this podcast, we talk about consumers during Corona, and there are obviously a lot of obvious ways that consumer behavior has changed. People were staying at home more. They were ordering groceries more. Zoom is up. E-commerce is up. Obviously, bars and restaurants and travel are down. But through your lens, through the Research that you do, what do you see as some of the more interesting, or overlooked, or underestimated ways in which consumer behavior is changing?
2: Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's overlooked necessarily, but I do think, like, um, you know, as we've been obviously tracking the impact of the pandemic over the past year plus at this point, and um, one thing that's been really consistent across the board is just. That people are are tired and overwhelmed, and there's an in- increase of anxiousness and stress. Um, none of this is surprising per se, just given what we're all going through. But I think as we look forward, you know, that it's been kind of termed like the pandemic wall, and um, it's really like the reserves are kind of running out. So there's only so much you can sustain over time. Um, And so what does that look like as we move forward and how can brands really play a role in making things easier for people? Um, I think one of the things that we've seen through the pandemic's eyes and, and also the racial justice movement and a lot of the things that we've seen unfold over the past year is that there's a lot of systems in place that aren't necessarily ideal in their construct. And um, there are things that are very difficult that maybe don't have to be that difficult, Um, whether it's kind of how you navigate the medical system and your insurance or how you work with your bank and invest and, you know, or even how you get certain groceries, like all of it, there are ways to make it easier. Um, And I think that's that's the lens that brands should really be thinking about um, at, when it comes to how they can help people um, just given where everyone is at and how, how difficult the life. Happens.
1: Yeah. I think you had a great phrase in there when you said that people's reserves are running out. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when all this started, it was just about a year ago. So you're seeing in the press a lot now, kind of it, Oh, it's the one year anniversary since this happened. It's the one year anniversary since, uh, since, you know, the NBA shut down and that was kind of a a triggering moment. And I think you're right. I think people's reserves are running out. There's the, just sort of the sameness of every day, but I, I think people are starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a lot of excitement about the vaccine, but I think your point, there's a lot that brands can do to just make things a little easier to take that cognitive load off of people in making decisions, I think is a really powerful idea.
2: Yeah, it's interesting at the same time, there's also this empowerment that consumers or people expect, right? Like they like wanting to take things into their own hands and not be as reliant on just what they're being told. So like, um, you know, one of the macro trends that Ipsos talks about is is capitalism's turning point. And um, that, you know, we're seeing that play out, right? We saw that with the GameStop Reddit um, in Wall Street. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it with the massive uptick in crypto investing and NFTs, not even knowing what that really means. I think that these <laughs> huge implications in terms of how people are really trying to find ways to empower themselves. Um, and take some of those matters in their own hands. So I think there's, yeah, there's this balance of like, you're not like dictating how people live, but you're also being very focused on the lens of how you can be helping
1: well, you mentioned this idea of brand purpose, and I think that's really powerful. And I see a lot of brands really sort of trying to reconnect what it is that they are most built around, you know, in, in all different categories, even like it's something like, like healthcare, you know, you know, the, there's been a big jump in telemedicine. And I think at first a lot of people said, Oh, this is just going to be a way for healthcare companies and doctors to provide less service for people. But I think over time people have started to realize, Oh, you know what? This might actually be more convenient for me and more convenient for the doctors. And if we strip out all this extra stuff of having to go to the office and wait in the waiting room, that it's an opportunity for healthcare providers to get back to like the core of what they're really about. Is that the kind of thing you're seeing?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think, I can just even speak from my own personal experience. Like my, my younger son, um, has pretty complex medical needs, he's uh, special needs. And so we would have to go to the doctor like all the time. And, um, in the midst of the pandemic, we were able to do some of those checkups through telehealth and even like getting blood drawn, they were like able to provide a mobile phlebotomist to come to our house and take the blood. Like there are things like that, that, I think we're accelerated into reality because of the pandemic. But at the same time, if you think about a very busy parent having to do all these things for their child, like creating those uh, capabilities for it to be a much easier process um, is something that really goes back to what I was just talking about really around how can you be helpful. Um, and at the same time, it saves time. It gives the doctor more time to um do more appointments even, you know, that can be a very long process. I know a lot of people go to the doctor and then have to wait in the waiting room forever, you know, like, so there's a lot of things like that, that could really be um, omitted. And then like, for the things that really do need that in-person attention and focus, it, it can be hopefully more um, more productive in the long run.
1: That's really interesting. What other categories have you seen kind of a refocusing on this brand purpose?
2: Um, I think across the board, really, I mean, financial services is a big one um, in terms of making it easier for people. I think one of the things we've seen in the last year is that people have realized the importance of saving, right? In the midst of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. a lot of people losing their jobs, um, getting furloughed, or even just like, bracing themselves for that potential reality. um, It just made a lot of people realize, wait, I haven't really prioritized my financial wealth or my financial health. Um, What does that look like for me? And that was something we heard from a lot of our um, in social conversations, as well as from our community members and the Ipsos communities we manage is like, that's one of the things I've learned from the pandemic that I want to keep with me moving forward, which is kind of how, making sure I'm more proactive in my financial actions and saving and thinking about that wealth moving forward. I even saw an ad the other day for a company and it's an app for kids. It's like a Robin hood for children um, to invest in stocks. And I was like, wow, that's bonkers. but so like interesting that like, we're thinking about that at that early of an age.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting opportunity. And uh, certainly savings rates are are way up. There's also been a surge in say uh you know life insurance policies, uh attorneys who do wills and trusts and those kinds of things are seeing a growth in business. People are thinking more about long-term planning and I think this has also made people think a little bit about mortality in a way that maybe they hadn't before and kind of everyone is sort of making sure they have their affairs in order as a result of all of this. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. It goes back to that empowerment point too, you know, and I think that's, that's a big piece of purpose in general for brands is like um, kind of really thinking about how they're making decisions and who they're impacting in that context. I think, a lot of decisions historically by a, a corporate profit driven brand have been for the stockholders right we saw the big news in the last few years from the business roundtable and of moving towards stakeholder capitalism which is really thinking about the implications of your actions against all of the different people that are hit by your decisions right so that's that isn't just your stockholders that's your employees, that's your customers, that's the community that you're within. Um, And so thinking more holistically about your impact um, and then how you can actually create a better impact is I think one of the biggest through lines as we think about brand purpose.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, tell me a little bit more about the work that you do. Obviously, you you work at Ipsos, a big multinational research company. I used to work there. Uh, You know, the kind of the core of Ipsos business, I would say historically, has been traditional market research, custom research for individual clients, survey-based research. But you do something very different and something that... Uh, certainly for a while, I think in the industry was considered very avant-garde and very, gee, I don't know about that. Social media listening, how is that going to work? Is that really scientific? So tell me a little bit about how you've seen the industry evolve, like the the kinds of insights that you help generate that maybe a traditional quantitative survey wouldn't really generate.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I've been talking about this a lot um, because Believe it or not, I'm hitting my 10 years at Ipsos. Actually, today wow. I think Today literally is my 10 year anniversary. At
1: Ipsos. Congratulations! You.
2: Um, and
1: you're gonna get—you're uh, gonna get some kind of present. Oh, like I got—I got, I got Go a ahead. wonderful present. Oh, what'd you get? Can you tell us?
2: Well, I got this from my team and and my my boss, but it's—they uh, gave me a case of wine. <laughs>
1: Oh, nice. A case. That's no mess. That's not just a nice They color. know
2: how to get to Manica's heart. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't picked from That's the book great. yet, though, the catalog when you get stuff
1: from. Yeah. I remember at my five year anniversary, I got like a dining room set, plates and cups and that I still use. Oh, okay. So I think about Ipsos every day when I see that. <laughs> so yeah, we'll have to come back on when you've picked out of the catalog. So yeah, hear, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Absolutely.
2: Um, but I will say, like, I'm, I called myself an accidental researcher because I actually, prior to joining Ipsos, was not an insights practitioner, was not a researcher by trade. I was always in the marketing side of things, um, very much in the tech um, digital age when like communities and, and social media was really just starting. Um, And that's really what i grew up in and the the through line or the thread was always about how um, how can you better engage and connect with people in that digital environment and what was really interesting in that context is is how we kind of fell into learning about people in that context because if you really want to engage with someone you have to have a meaningful relationship with them you have to want to dialogue with them and understand where they're coming from. And that's kind of the foundation for meaningful engagement. And in that process of doing that, you learn about who they are and what they love and what makes them tick and all of those things. So that's really how I kind of like accidentally fell into research. Um, And it was very much in the context of online communities um, and building online communities. And so when I came to Ipsos, um, that was really the impetus for my being brought into the organization was to really help build that component of the Ipsos offer. Um, So I do oversee the online communities practice um, in the US, which is essentially leveraging, like I said, online platforms where we're engaging a group of people. And again, starting it from that point of uh, establishing a meaningful relationship and using that as the basis for learning. Um, And then the other part of the business that I oversee is social intelligence analytics. And that is really um, looking at the unprompted conversations that people are having across social, which is um, just a vast amount of learning can come from that because people are unprompted talking about things all the time. Um, Some of it really amazing, some of it kind of crazy, but like all of it is at some level learning. Um, And I think to your point, yeah, when I started 10 years ago at Ipsos, it was definitely something that still wasn't fully understood from a research perspective. Um, I would say it's still not completely understood, but that's because it's such an evolving um, area, you know, like social media is changing every day. Like the landscape of social media today is very different than it was even a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, I think it's both really, really rigorous quant, because it's like big data and and kind of you can structure it to understand it better. But it's also qual, like deep qual, because everything that you're looking at is coming from images and words of real people
1: that's really powerful and i know when i taught my students about about qualitative research in general you know we talked about you know you for for social media listening so much of it is you know natural language it's it's unstructured conversations that are just sort of naturally occurring out there and, you know, you can analyze that in a qualitative way. I mean, it's kind of like a big focus group, only you haven't asked the questions, but the conversation's going on. But I know you also do a lot of kind of rigorous quantitative analysis. You can do, you know, for any given topic, here's, you know, what what percent are these various brands mentioned? You can do a sentiment analysis of so the brands being talked about in a positive way or a negative way. So, so you can do qual and quant through social media. Yeah, that's absolutely. Really
2: I think, and that's one of the things that, You know ipsos really brings to the lens of social data is the rigor that ipsos brings from a research perspective right as you know from your time here we have a lot Mm -hmm. of different frameworks and methodologies that have been honed over time with some super amazing intelligent people and we're able to apply those methods against the unstructured data set of social Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things I see in my conversations with clients um, is that there is still a lot of unknowns around how to leverage social data for meaningful insights. I think it's it's been definitely leveraged from the perspective of marketing, understanding like campaign metrics and brand perception, but insights is a much more like... There's a lot more you can do from an insights
1: perspective um, with that data set. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what kind of things can you learn from consumers or do consumers share in social media that you might not get out of a quantitative survey? I mean, I wonder if like on social media, do people like beef more about brands? Are they more likely to say, I hate this brand. I hate that spokesperson. Is there like more more of a raw emotionality that you would get? I think when people sit down and take a survey, they sort of put on like a very cognitive mindset and I want to appear rational. And But I think you must get like a more raw sense of people's emotions and experiences.
2: I think at some level, yeah, we talk about like social being kind of the place of moments, whereas surveys are more around memories and recall. Um, But at some level, like everything you post on social, you're thinking about it. You know, you do have some some rationality against it before you post something. But, um, but yeah, I do think that you see things without assumptions. That's kind of how I put it, like in a survey by definition, or even a discussion guide or anything, you have to make some assumptions when you're putting the questions together. And in social, you don't really have to make, you can truly discover the unknown unknowns. Um, and that's, that's something that's really powerful. That's what I think, I don't think, I think there's like a debate about whether social will like replace surveys. And I don't necessarily think that's the case at all. I think there's still so much value to being able to ask structured questions and having quantifiable um, data against the things that you're trying to make decisions on, but avoiding the pitfalls of assumptions, being able to um, think about blind spots um, and really kind of listen to the voice of all people. I think that's a big piece of it as well. It's like, you always are beholden to the sample source when you're thinking about any other type of research. in social, there's anyone as you can use social media. Um, and so that gives you a broader a broader base essentially to learn from as well.
1: That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but there's so much about the the limitations of quantitative sample and even though you can balance your sample based on demographics so your sample looks just like the country as a whole, there's still kind of that bias of who's willing to take surveys whereas you get a much more representative sense of of what the conversation is out there.
2: And I think um That's, yeah, yeah, a lot of our clients talk about um or like ask us like, "Well, who's really posting on social and you know things like that?" And I I think a lot of people are, but in the, at the same, in the same context, we're using search data as well. And I think while people might not be posting regularly on social about how they feel about things, most people are searching at some level. Um, and the other data source that we're getting is the kind of the behavioral data. So like, you know, when you're on Instagram and you just like went and searched something like you want to buy something and then you go back to Instagram and it's in your feed as an ad, that yeah. that data is also um, a component of what we're looking at.
1: Well, um, obviously, as I said, you know, I think people are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit in terms of coronavirus with the vaccine and everything. And so I think that's leading a lot of people to wonder okay, what kind of trends in consumer behavior are going to continue post vaccine versus what kind of things are going to snap back? Uh, Do you have any insights on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely every client is really interested in the crystal ball. Um, which is not totally um, an easy ask, but I think we have some signals. Um, You know, when we look at the social conversation and how people are talking about um, things in the context of looking forward, or I miss, or I can't wait, you know, using some of those kinds Mm -hmm. of terms, um, travel is top of the list, um, and sporting events, sporting events. People really miss sporting events, Like going to the baseball field. I mean, I live in Los Angeles, and for the last six months, every time I go to Dodger Stadium, it's for a COVID test or for the vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) My husband's like, "The next time I go to Dodger Stadium, it better be to watch a baseball game." Um, So I think people are really there's a pent up energy or or demand for just wanting to be back in social environments and live events. going to Disneyland, like all of these kinds of things. So that's definitely a big area. Um, and even just like going to restaurants and things like that, we're seeing an uptick. I think Ipsos actually just published data today um, that shows that that more people are starting to kind of emerge from their households as, as more getting vaccinated as well. And we're even seeing intent to get vaccinated go up as well. I think Ipsos just put out data. I think it's like 65% in the US. Where, one of the lower countries but some of the other countries are even closer to 90% so um, I think there's just a new hope and a new optimism. We've also been looking at emotions over time so in our communities and um, we have a syndicated online community that we've been engaging with over the past year and we've been doing this um, kind of quote-unquote tracker but it's a quality there's qualitative elements to it right where we're like tell us three words how you feel this week. And we started feeling bad. We're like, should we not ask them this all the time? And we actually just asked the members straight up. We're like, do you want us to do this less or whatever, you know, just to get their input. And it was so interesting. We had members talk about how it's been really helpful for them. It's been actually like really like giving them an outlet. Cathartic. Cathartic. Yeah. exactly. So people are really wanting to kind of get it out and how they're feeling. But one of the most um, dominant emotions over time has been that fatigue and that feeling of inertia. And so I think as you, as we see kind of people looking forward to traveling and going to sporting events and all these things, there's just this, this really big desire. So I think that's going to be a big implication how long that lasts, or if there's going to be a curve against that will be interesting to kind of watch. The other piece is just like, understanding like the implications of some of the habits that have shifted, you know, like future of work, future of cooking, like these are the, a lot of the questions that we're kind of thinking through. But, you know, to our earlier point about telemedicine or using online banking, like really realizing there's some things that I don't have to actually do in person, or that was super easy, I got over the adoption curve or the, that kind of barrier to adoption. Um, I think some of those things will really stick as well. Um, So, yeah, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, inertia is a great word. And it's really interesting, you know, from a research point of view, when coronavirus first hit, I think a lot of researchers were wondering, can we even do research right now? Is it like disrespectful to be going out and asking people questions? And I think the takeaway was, like you said, people want to talk. People want to be heard. It is kind of cathartic. And uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how how the inertia you mentioned plays out. Uh, the, the guest I had in the podcast last week was talking about, well, when coronavirus hit, there were all these catalyzing factors that made consumer behavior all change at once. You know, stay at home and mass and places are closed down. But as we come out of it, we're not going to have that same catalyzing event it's you know uh, people are going to you know sort of emerge like you said at, at different times and different states are rolling things back in different time frames so it'll be a more gradual comeback but i could definitely see the the inertia in that start to pick up and as people get more comfortable we might really see a resurgence in you know in bars and restaurants and and travel like you said or even you know weddings that have been postponed mm-hmm. that kind of thing yeah so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how, how that inertia plays out in in getting things back going now that we saw it, how it played out and slowing down.
2: Yeah, one of the interesting things, like in the conversation about food, right? Like, So that's that's been so interesting to see um, evolve over the course of the pandemic. Because like, if you remember back in the day, banana bread and sourdough and focaccia gardens were like all the rage. And everyone was talking about that. It was like the early days of the pandemic was like, Ooh, let's get like really creative and do all these things in the kitchen that I never thought I would have time to do. And now it's like the hacks that we're seeing are like how to make things as easy as possible. It's like the tortilla folding and the like baked oats and like the things you're seeing on kind of trending from that perspective. So I think there's just this overarching fatigue um, and desire to kind of move into like being doing those things that we haven't been able to
1: do for so long. That's a great example. I remember when uh, bread baking was the big thing; people were baking bread and watching Tiger King. <laughs> exactly. And now that seems like so long ago and so quaint. And yeah, there's just there's an exhaustion, yeah. like you said, just a, a feeling of being worn down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, given that, the, my final question for you that I ask of all my guests: What one piece of advice do you have, personal or professional, for helping people survive and thrive at this time?
2: I mean, I think it really comes down to always thinking about how you as an individual can be better. And that that kind of can inform every element of what you're doing. So is there, is there a way for this to help people? Everything you're doing in that context um, and always having that lens, whether it's like how you're engaging with a colleague or how I'm talking to my son, <laughs> Or you know how I'm like talking to the lady on the phone from whatever customer service. Um, really con- having that lens in terms of how can I be better in this conversation? How can I bring a better perspective to this? Um, that's something that uh, is really a driving force for me. It's a driving force for me and the team that I lead because we talk. I talk about how can we help our clients get closer to people. To be better brands, um, and I think that's—if all of us are thinking that way, then how can we not all together move towards a better, a better future?
1: That's a great insight. I like that—that that sense of, of personal responsibility to make a difference. That's really powerful. Excellent, Manika Gopinath. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show.
2: Thanks for having me. This has been fun.
1: That's it for this week. Please like, subscribe, and share. The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. You can also find me on MySpace. OnlyFans, send me a fax, or better yet, page me. When I get your page, I'll go out. I'll find a payphone. I'll call you back. To take us out, it's the full version of our theme song, Tourist, by Tess Stevens, the world's most rockin' content strategist. Until next time, my friends, stay safe. And stay
0: safe. the and-